What is up, guys? How are y'all? Yeah. Uh, I love, I love, I love what, what Anna said uh, when she said, God is always doing something new in our lives, but God is always the same. Isn't that powerful? God is always doing something new in our lives, but God is always the same. And really, that's the idea of this entire series, right? So here, here's the big idea for the series, is that God's movement may seem different depending on what season you're in. God's movement in your life may seem different depending on what season you're in. So for the last few weeks and for a couple more weeks, we're going to be talking about different seasons that we may be in, right? The first week we talked about a season of preparation and planting, right? And the big idea was, look, we got to get our soil ready. If we want God to move in our life, we want to see truth blossom, if we want to see growth happen in our life, we have to get our soil ready. And then last week we talked about growth, right? We talked about growing with our heads, growing with our hearts, growing with our hands. And for us to grow, we need to grow healthily. So the big idea was get healthy. Get healthy. So this week, you guys ready? We're talking about pruning. Oof. Can y'all say ouch? Ouch. Pruning. Pruning is a big ouch. But in order to experience pruning, if you want to understand pruning, you have to understand Six Flags Astroworld. All right? You may have never heard of Six Flags Astroworld, and here's why. It closed in 2005. For good reason. It was not a good park, right? It was a Six Flags park from the Houston area. Um, I'm from Houston. So that was the theme park that I just absolutely loved as a kid, right? But in all honesty, Six Flags Astroworld, or Astroworld as we called it, was dirty, right? Six Flags Astroworld was grimy. They had really long waits. Uh, the people working there at Astroworld were not happy to be there, but they were just pushing buttons, boop, and just like, sending coasters and like that. Uh, so, you would, so you would park, and then you would walk across this green bridge. And I was so excited always as a kid, walking across the green bridge that went over the highway, uh, Loop 610 there in Houston, to go into Astroworld. And as soon as you entered into the park, you just smelt that funnel cake, just, uh, just wafting in. But here's the thing about funnel cake. It always smells better than it tastes, right? You guys know this? So we're there with the funnel cake, and then I'm walking through, and I'm so excited to be there uh, with my family. And then we're going, and there's always, like, teenagers just everywhere, right? And I thought, like, oh, they're so cool. But now looking, oh, my gosh, they were 13, like, just, like, running around doing whatever. And I remember I was seven years old, and I was finally tall enough to ride my first roller coaster. Right up until seven, I was, I was too short, right? And you know, as a kid, and maybe, maybe you've interacted with kids recently, or you remember when you were a kid trying to ride a coaster, and you just get up as tall as you can, and it was always so disheartening knowing that you're not tall enough, and then child just walks away defeated, and the parent tries to argue and stuff, stuff um, like stuffing in the shoes to get you a little taller or get you to tiptoe, uh, but in safety, you have to wait until you're the correct height. So finally, seven years old. I was finally the right height to ride, not a kiddie ride, an actual roller coaster. So the first roller coaster that I ever rode was called the Viper, right, at Astroworld. And the Viper was this green coaster. It was like snake-themed, and it had this tunnel that you would go down. It had a vertical loop. I was so excited as a seven-year-old to ride my very first roller coaster. So we go on the ride, and I'm there, and I'm so excited. And I sit down in the coaster, and I check, you know, checking the harness, right? And the person who hates life is like, yeah, whatever, and just keeps walking as they're checking it, making minimum wage, but just hopefully that nobody dies on his watch. So, so uh, get strapped in, and then I'm going. And and then you crest. 
and then you go down, right? And here's what I experienced. I was terrified. Oh my gosh, I closed my eyes the entire time. I don't remember anything. I just know I'm going left and right and up and down. And I don't know anything about this experience because my hands are just holding onto the coaster so tightly. And I just don't know at all what's going on in my eyes. I'm so scared and I'm so terrified and I'm so uncomfortable. And the reason I say that is because I think for a lot of us, as we think through our faith, as we think through our life following Jesus, it's a similar experience to when I had when I was seven years old riding my first roller coaster. We thought it was going to be fun. And we're just uncomfortable, right? We're just uncomfortable. I'm like, this is not what I thought this was going to be. I thought following Jesus was going to be fun. I thought it was going to be easy. And as me, as a seven-year-old riding a coaster for the first time, is us following Jesus. We just feel uncomfortable, right? The up and down and left and right, and we don't know what's coming up, and we're just holding on for dear life, are we not? And we just feel so uncomfortable. So that's the question we're looking at, is why is following Jesus so uncomfortable? Why Whenever we think through our Christian life, when we think through our Christian faith, why do we feel so uncomfortable, right? That's what we're talking about today. And I think we actually have some, a few different sources of discomfort, if we're going to be honest. There's a few different ways that we feel discomfort as we live our life, right? One way we feel discomfort is from ourselves, We bring our own discomfort into our lives, right? We bring our own discomfort with what we say. We bring our own discomfort from what we do. We bring our own discomfort from what we feel, right? We just get in our own hoods. We are like all this emotion on the inside that we just feel really uncomfortable about it. Um, The things that we think aren't always the things that make us feel comfortable with what we think. The things that we do, we're bringing discomfort um, to our own own lives. Uh, For some of us, it's showing up to church for the first time or showing up to church for the first time in a long time was very uncomfortable, was it not? And you just don't know what's going to happen. Maybe you were in your car, and you're just trying to like psych yourself up in the mirror, and you're like, I can do this. And then you almost get out, and you're like, no, I can't. And you go back in. <laughs> and then we're like, I think, I think, like, oh, they're looking too happy. I'm not feeling that way right now. I don't want to have to put on the face. I'm not feeling this. And, you're, and finally, you just get up the courage just to go and go to church finally for the first time. It was so uncomfortable, was it not, for some of us? Right? Maybe going to group launch or going to life group for the first time, doing something for the first time in faith was just very uncomfortable that we did. Um, for some of us, it's working out. You guys ever work out? Is that not uncomfortable? Who does not skip leg day? Right? It is so uncomfortable, right? Your legs just wobbly like you can't even walk anymore, right? We bring discomfort to our own lives. Uh, for some of us, it, it's fasting, for some of us, we, we, we choose to fast either for, for faith reasons or for, for health reasons or whatever your reason. Like, we bring discomfort to our lives as we choose to exercise some discipline, some self-control in our life. We just make ourselves very uncomfortable. Um, for whoever has gone to counseling before for the first time, right, and has to sit in some really deep pain, some hurt to explore, some hurt to process, right, it's, it's hard, It's hard, and it brings us discomfort that we bring to ourselves as we're just having to sit there and process some things that have happened in our life before. So ourselves, we bring ourselves discomfort. Uh, Secondly, oh, did this, oh, okay. This table got pruned. So for some of us, it's friends and family. Friends and family is what brings us discomfort. Maybe it's a good friend that starts to distance themselves from you, and it hurts. 
Maybe it's a relationship that you had that you don't have anymore. Maybe the person you're dating doesn't want to date anymore. The person you're moving forward with doesn't want to continue moving forward. Um, I was talking with uh, some, some friends earlier, and I was asking about, about family and like, for some research. I was like, hey, help me think through some, some ways that family can bring discomfort. And this person responded, do you want a list? <laughs> a family can bring discomfort to us in a lot of ways. And not just that, number three, strangers. Strangers can bring discomfort to their lives, right? You go to, you go to your favorite coffee shop and then misspell your name. Oh, that's so much discomfort, right? Or uh, that job that you're applying for and the HR person never reaches out and it brings discomfort to your life. That promotion that you want that you don't get and it brings, dis- it brings discomfort to your life. You getting released from your job bring- brings discomfort to your life. Right? The, the, the owner of the home or the lease where you are right now tells you you can't live there anymore. That brings discomfort to your life. Right? Strangers can bring discomfort to your life. So I think, as we see, there are a few, some sources of discomfort with ourselves, with our family and friends, with strangers. And as we feel this discomfort, man, for some of us, we just get angry. We get angry. We're just so mad. For some of us, we feel fear and anxiety because we don't know what's going to happen. In this season of discomfort, we're just, I, I don't know, and I'm distressed, and I'm anxious about it. For some of us, we feel shame, like we think it's our fault. We think it's our fault that we have this discomfort. For some of us, we just get really sad. For some of us, it, we're hurt. There's so much pain in our lives because of this discomfort, right? For some of us, there's sorrow and there's grief. When we're in a season of discomfort, there's a lot of negative emotion that we can feel. We're in a season of discomfort. It's hard. So why is following Jesus so uncomfortable? And then we ask God, God, are you not, are you not in this situation right now? Are you not handling this? What's going on? I thought, I thought you were supposed to never leave me or forsake me. I feel left and forsaken. Like, what's, what's going on here? Are you, not, are, you not here with me? are you not here with me in this situation? Are you not present? Are you going to show up here? God, what's going on? I thought, things, I thought you were helping me here. I don't feel your help right now. God, where are you? I'm so uncomfortable right now. Are you going to help me be comfortable? Are you going to help me with my situation right now? Come on, God. Like, I thought you're the God of the universe. You're sovereign over everything. You can, like, snap your fingers and just make things happen. You don't even have to snap. You just speak. You speak and things happen. God, can you just say... Can you, like, whisper maybe something in my life? And we're just so frustrated about this. Why is following Jesus so uncomfortable? Jesus himself answers this question. Jesus himself. It's not somebody quoting Jesus. It's not somebody referencing Jesus. Jesus himself answers why following him may at times be uncomfortable. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your apps, we're going to be in John. John chapter 15. John chapter 15, uh, and if you were with us earlier this spring, uh, this passage may seem familiar to you. We're going to be in John chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 2, where Jesus says this. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Right? Jesus is saying, he's the true vine. Here's, here's what this means. This is a farming metaphor. We've been using a lot of farming metaphors in this, in this series. So Jesus is saying, basically think of this like a, like a big, sturdy, um, uh, fully God, fully man tree trunk. Okay? This is Jesus. Jesus is this amazingly sturdy, this foundation, this tree trunk, this, this vine. Right? And from this tree trunk, this vine, come these branches. And from the branches come fruit, right? 
And then the father comes in, and he, he, the father will come and interacts with all of that. He interacts with, the, with the, the tree trunk, the vine. He interacts with the branches. He interacts with the fruit from the branches. So we are the branches. Jesus is the vine, right? He's the source of life. He's the one that gives us nutrient. He's the one that gives us wholeness and restoration. And as we're going to see, things don't work well if we're not connected to the vine. If we're not, if the branch is apart from the tree trunk, the vine, it's not going to work. So Jesus is saying, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. So Jesus is the source of life. So he continues, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, right? So this is another sermon for another day, but here's the big idea. It does not go well if you are not connected to Jesus. Things do not work out well for you. He continues, and every branch that does bear fruit, look what's going on here. Every branch, so this is us, these are the branches connected to the tree trunk that is bearing fruit. So these are healthy branches. These are good branches. These are branches that are bearing fruit. Good things are happening. He's saying, look, if if every branch that does bear fruit, he, what, what do you think it's going to say? He blesses? What do you guys think? He, he, he promotes, he gives success, he, he like gives you even more fruit, he, he's going to make things amazing for you, he's going to pat you on the back because you're doing such a good job. What does it say? He prunes. Ouch. These are the good branches. The good branches get pruned. Not the bad branches. The bad branches get thrown away. The good branches are the ones that he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Right? I had, uh, when I was in high school, I played basketball. And in high school, my, my basketball coach, he would yell at us a lot because that's what coaches do. So, so he, he would yell at us, but he always said, look, you better be happy that I'm yelling at you because that means I care. When I stop yelling at you, that means I don't care anymore. This is this idea that Jesus Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit, right? So these are pruning shears. You guys see this? Pruning shears. So here's, here's what pruning does. Pruning, you have to go onto the tree, and you check out, find the good branches, and then find what, so there's things that suckers and other things that tie to the good branch and suck the nutrients from the, from the vine, from the tree trunk. So what pruning is, is it's going in there and carefully going and cutting out the things that should not be there. These are, the, uh, these are things, these, these vines, these weeds, these thorns that grow in there that will take life, that they distress it, they're, they're dirty, they're broken, they're going to kill the branch. So what a pruner does, what a farmer does, is he goes with his shears and he cuts out the things that should not be there. And it's painful. Branches getting pruned is painful, but that's the job of the farmer, right? It's to cut out the unwanted parts of the plant, to remove the damaged, the damaged branches, the diseased branches, to go in, carefully go and cut into prune so that the branch may become even healthier, right? So farmers, they know the reason plants get pruned is because so that it may bear more fruit, right? Whenever you cut out the bad parts, as painful as it is, uh, what happens after that is the, the, there's more fruit, there's more flowers, there's the, the, the things grow even larger, right? There's more, there's more there, there's more fruit, there's more flowers. That's what every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So I want us to notice a few things that's going on here. I want us to notice a few things. Pruning is from God. Pruning is from God. 
Pruning is whenever there are things in our life that are going to choke us out. There are things that are going to come in to try to, um, that are distracting us, some thorns, some things that are not good. And God is coming in and he's cutting out the bad so that it may produce goodness, right? Pruning is from God. God is the one that's coming in and he's pruning us. So I, I don't want you to think that getting pruned means that necessarily that something is wrong, or that something is bad, or you're doing something wrong, right? I think some of us may feel that way. We may think, man, I've been doing this thing, and it's been good, and it's been working, and then all of a sudden, it's not there anymore. God, where are you? And God is like, I'm right there. I just pruned you. Some of us, we get really upset, and we get frustrated, and we like shake our fists at God, but God is saying, look, I'm pruning you because I love you. I want to see you healthy, I want to see you flourish. And in order to do that, I need to cut out the bad so that the good may flourish even more. Look, I love you. You're already bearing fruit. You're already bearing fruit. So because you're already bearing fruit, I want to come in and prune you. I know it's painful. I love you. I know it's painful, but I want to come in and prune you, not to hold you back, but so that you may bear more fruit. Pruning is from God. Another thing to notice is that pruning makes us fruitful. Pruning makes us fruitful, right? How do we get fruitful? Is it by just ignoring things and just allowing things to grow willy-nilly? No, it's that God comes in and he prunes us in order that we may bear even more fruits. Look, God is coming in to make us fruitful. So uh, if you were hanging out with us at all this fall, we know we talked every week for 10 weeks about fruit, but to remind you or to catch you up if you weren't there, um, this is what fruit is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the fruit. And as we can see, if we were to sum up all of these words, it's character. The fruit that God wants in your life is character. The reason God prunes us is to develop our character. This is what God's about. God wants us to be holy God wants us to be like him. God wants us set apart. God wants us patterning our life after him. And when things come in our life, right, or when things that are, not go- that things that are going to hold us back from developing our character, that's whenever God comes in and prunes us to develop our character, right? Pruning makes us fruitful. That's the aim of Jesus, right, is he wants us to be fruitful in our character, not just give us success and give us relationships and give us all the things that we want. The ultimate aim of Jesus is developing your character, and the way that happens is because he loves you, he's going to prune you, and it's painful, and it hurts. And something else to notice is that pruning is normal. Pruning is normal, right? If you feel like you're in a season of pruning, if you feel like you're in a season of discomfort, if you feel like you're in a season where you had something and now you don't have it anymore, you felt like something got taken away from you, this is normal. This is the life of a Christian, right? This is normal, right? You may have grown up or maybe you've heard, though, that pruning is not normal, and if you're being pruned, that means something's wrong with you, and you need to have more victory and claim victory in Christ, right? So that you're not being pruned anymore, that things are just going well, Right? There's no, it, there's no for, that, for that type of teaching, there is no category for pruning. There's no category for suffering. It's okay to not be okay. It's possible that the reason you're not feeling okay right now, the reason that you're feeling a lot of discomfort right now, is because God is pruning you, because he loves you. You've done nothing wrong, necessarily, right? But God wants to come in and cut out the, the things that are going to distract so that he may develop your character. And this 
is normal, right? If you're in a season where you feel like you're holding on for dear life, where you're surviving, you feel like you don't have any hope, you feel like, I don't know how, what's going to happen, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this, that's normal. That's normal. It's okay. It's okay, right? What's not okay, right, is to pretend that you're never going to be pruned, Right? If you thought following Jesus was like everything's going to be awesome all the time, and I was just going to get success all the time, and I was just gonna, my life is going to be amazing all the time, and um, these amazing things are going to happen, and then you hit a season to where things were not awesome, and you're like, what happened? What happened is you got pruned. And that's normal. Pruning is normal. Pruning is expected for the life of a believer. Right? I'd, I want us to know that pruning is normal, right? If you're in here and you're feeling like you just got pruned last week, the week before, you feel like you've been pr- being pruned for the last six months, this is normal, and we're so glad you're here. So one of the things that we say here at the table is this is a, a banquet for the broken, right? So it comes off um, uh, Luke chapter 14, where this idea of um, this owner of the house throwing this great feast Right? And it's typically people that recognize that they're broken that end up finding a seat at the table. Right? So being broken, this is the life of a believer. Recognizing that we're broken is the life of a believer. That's what it means to follow Jesus, to recognize that we're all broken, trying to find healing in Jesus. Right? And at times we may feel so broken and we may feel like we don't know what's going on and we feel so disoriented. And I'm here to say pruning is normal. Pruning is normal. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It means that he's pruning you for your good and for his glory. Pruning is normal. So here's the big idea. Here's the big idea. Pruning is uncomfortable. All right? Whenever we said at the beginning, we asked the question, why is following Jesus so uncomfortable? It's because pruning is normative because God is orchestrating pruning, because pruning is going to give us fruit, which means that when we're in a season of pruning, pruning is uncomfortable, and it's painful, and it hurts. But because God loves us, he's pruning us. Pruning is uncomfortable. If the goal of our life is to be comfortable, we're going to reject pruning. If we're just trying to orchestrate our life in order just to be really comfortable and not have any problems and avoid problems and kind of avoid certain things and kind of set ourselves up so we just never have problems anymore, we're going to reject, reject the pruning that God wants to do, right? I know for some of us, our desire is to be rich. We just want to have a lot of money. We just want to set ourselves up so much that we can just pay everything. We don't have to worry about finances anymore. We just want to set up our lives where we're just so successful that we can just buy our way out, and we think that once we achieve a certain status that we're just not going to suffer anymore. And what happens, although being rich is not necessarily bad, though, what happens, though, with a lot of rich people is they reject pruning because they set, themselves, they set their life up to be comfortable So desiring to be rich, you have to be so, 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 so careful because desiring to be rich means that you're desiring to be comfortable. And if your desire is to be comfortable, you're going to reject the pruning that Jesus wants to do. All the poor people say amen. (laughs) So if the goal of your life is to be comfortable, you're going to reject pruning, right? Sometimes, though, we're comfortable we're really comfortable, and we know that the comfortable that we're in is bad. And we know this. We know this, right? 
We know it's not good for us. We know it's bad. Maybe it's a relationship that we're just very comfortable with, but we know that it's bad. But I think the struggle for a lot of us is that the comfortable that we know is bad is way more comfortable than the unknown thing that's good. So even though we know something is good, right, that's something that should be pruned for us when here and we're in our comfortable bad, is that it's so, so, so hard to take that step from the comfortable bad into the unknown good because we don't know. We haven't experienced it before. So a lot of us, we're just going to sit Right? And not take any action and wallow in just being comfortable in this, whether it be a, a bad job, whether it be a bad relationship, whether it be um, a bad living situation, whether it be a bad interaction with family, right? whether it be um, um, acting out sexually. For some of us, acting out sexually is so comfortable. It's normative, it's our coping mechanism. And it's so comfortable. We don't know what life would be like if we didn't. Right? For some of us, it's alcohol. Just consuming lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of alcohol to where we don't remember is so comfortable. And we just use that to cope. But we know it's bad and we know we shouldn't. Um, but man, it's so comfortable. And I don't know what life would be like if I didn't. I don't know how I would get through if I didn't. I know it's bad. But I'm just going to sit here in the comfortable that I do know instead of risking stepping into the uncomfortable that I don't know. And what happens when we do that is we reject pruning. We reject the work that God wants to do in our life to produce character in our life, to produce fruit in our life, to make us more like Jesus. Pruning is uncomfortable, and pruning is normal, and pruning comes from God, and pruning is to produce our character, our fruit in our life. So I had a, I had a friend, and um, this friend was... Um, from, from back, back in Texas, and a few years older than me. And he was a mess. He was a mess. He was um, married, but had a girlfriend on the side, and was like living with the girlfriend on the side, and kind of neglecting his kids, and was just in a mess. And what he would do is he would ride his motorcycle. So one night, he was out just be, having his mess of a life, and was out drunk, riding on a motorcycle, going down the road at night, and he had an accident where he just, like, toppled over. Kind of, there was a car coming, kind of couldn't avoid it, toppled over and got severe road rash that was serious as he spilled riding his motorcycle. So he got rushed to the hospital, and the doctor was there, and what the doctor had to do is had to go in into surgery, the surgeon, with a scalpel, go in and cut out all the dirt, and all the gravel that was not supposed to be there. And I think that's what God does to us. It's like a surgeon with a scalpel. He goes in and he cuts the things that aren't supposed to be there for our health. And sometimes when that happens, we think that um, God is harming us, right? We say, I feel harmed. There's a difference between harm and hurt. God will intentionally hurt you, intentionally cut you like a surgeon with a scalpel in order to remove the things that do not need to be there. And it's painful, and it hurts, but it's not harmful. It's painful, and it hurts, but it's not harmful. So that was, with my friend, that was the wake-up call that he needed, right? As he's there, um, recovering there in the hospital with, with, with road rash and trying to have the wounds heal was his wake-up call to get his life together. So God was able to use that incident as a pruning method in order to give him a wake-up call that he needed to do some things differently, that he needed to cut some things out of his life in order to follow Jesus wholly. So, so we opened up talking about roller coasters. I think there's more we can learn from roller coasters. 
I think there's actually some lessons about pruning that we can learn from roller coasters. So here are, as we think through pruning, as we know that pruning is uncomfortable, here are three lessons that we can learn from roller coasters when it comes to pruning. You guys ready? Number one. Number one. Expect discomfort. As if you know that you're in a pruning season, or not even that, if you're just a, any, a human being on the planet, right? You can expect discomfort. There are things that happen in our life that are unexpected, that we didn't plan for. And God often uses those unexpected things to get our attention to teach us something. But I think the thing that I myself often forget is that these things happen, right? Whenever something unexpected happens, whenever there's discomfort that happens, I'm like, oh, my, oh wow, I didn't expect that. Of course you didn't expect it. It was unexpected, right? So expect the unexpected. There are things that are going to happen in your life that seemingly come out of nowhere, right, that are unexpected. Um, back in 2014, I was driving. Uh, I was, um, when I was living in Texas, I was back home um, in the Houston area. I, w- I went home to visit my mom for Mother's Day, and then I drove back um, to the Dallas area. And in May in Texas, that's when it rains a lot. So I was driving. It was a four-hour drive, and it was raining most of the time, and it was just raining and raining and raining and raining and raining and raining. And I'm driving, right, and didn't have any problems until I hit a puddle. And then I hydroplaned. And then my car literally went 180 degrees facing the other way and slammed into the median guardrail. So I've always, uh, before that happened, I would always look at those guardrails and wonder, what are those there for? I now know what they're there for. <laughs> so what happened, I mean, by, by God's grace, I avoided all the oncoming traffic, but uh, my car spun out and was there, and it, it, my car was totaled. The, it was still drivable, but the entire uh, passenger side was damaged because it all hit the guardrail, so it needed to get replaced. This was very unexpected for me. Very unexpected. So eventually I was able to process that and kind of in a shock, but I was without a car, finally found a car. And this car I had for, I had for two years. Uh, and then there was an oil leak. But I didn't know, I didn't know it. So eventually I was driving, and the engine um, eventually just, like, exploded. <laughs> and there was a black smoke coming out of the piston. As I'm, and I'm literally at where the church that I was working at earlier. I barely made it into the parking lot, but the car was making so much loud. It was literally clanking. It was like, clank, 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 as I'm, as I'm coming in. And people come out, and sure enough, the car, I'm really good at this now. It was totaled. So then I... Um, uh, I was trying to figure out a car situation. I didn't have a car for a little bit. And um, so then I, I find this app where you can just rent a car. So then I, I rent a car, and it's like from like peer-to-peer car rental. Um, so then I, my family was going on vacation. Um, so I was driving from the Dallas area to Conroe. Conroe is a city a little north of Houston. It's about a three-hour drive. And I'm driving, and the hood of the car just comes up and slams the glass. This is not even my car at this point. <laughs> Somebody else's car. But... I should expect discomfort, should I not? <laughs> expect the unexpected. And here, here's why I say all this, is because obviously it was a financial strain. And your money reveals where your heart is. So in this season, God is using this, God is using my really bad car track record for, to produce character in me, to produce fruit in me, to, to produce stewardship in me, right? So I'm not mad at God. I know that this is an, th- something that he's using in order to develop my character, Right? And I know for a lot of us, we can relate to car issues. So that's one lesson that we can learn, is to expect 
discomfort. If you're a Christian, if you're following Jesus, expect discomfort. Number two, another lesson we can learn, right, is trust the security of Jesus, right? So on a, you're on a roller coaster, right? On a roller coaster. There are twists and there's turns, there's up, there's downs. Like you go on a roller coaster to be uncomfortable, right? If you were just sitting there, you wouldn't go on a roller coaster. You'd go on a lazy boy if you didn't want to feel any discomfort. If you didn't want to feel any G's at all, if you didn't want to be flipped upside down and even go backwards and even um, suddenly drop, right? You wouldn't do that. And again, with a roller coaster, there's harnesses that we put on. There's, there's seatbelts, right? There's harnesses that come over that keep us secure. And we know that we're not going to fly out of the coaster. Why? Because we trust the security. We trust the harness. In the same way, we can trust the security of Jesus. And I think this is a problem that a lot of us have, and myself included, that we struggle with, right? Is this idea of trusting and trusting that God is good when we're comfortable. Trusting that God is good when we're in a pruning season, right? Because we actually, that's the, those are the times that we actually doubt the goodness of God. And we doubt, we, we doubt in our faith. We doubt that God is for us and that we get frustrated because we know that God is good, in theory, but we're not feeling it right now. But in the same way in a roller coaster, the way that we trust the harness, that God is it's going to keep us secure, we're not going to fall out. In the same way, we can trust Jesus. He has us secure. We're not falling out of life. He's with us. He sent his Spirit to seal us, right? It says that in Colossians. We can trust the security of Jesus when we're in a season of discomfort, Right? And Jesus says this, where he says in John that um, nobody is going to snatch them. Nobody's going to snatch us out of his hand. Nobody's going to snatch us out of the Father's hand, right? We know that when we're in the pruning season, when we're so uncomfortable, we can trust Jesus, knowing that nobody's going to take us away from him. He has us. He's holding us. He's there with us. A third pruning lesson we can learn from roller coasters. The track is predetermined. You know how the story ends. You know how the story ends. With a roller coaster, you know it's going to end. You know exactly how it's going to end. And with life, we know how it ends. For those of us that are in Christ, we're going to spend eternity with Jesus. No trial, no tribulation, no suffering, no hurt, nor pain is going to change that story for us. We know exactly how the story ends, right? It ends very well for those of us that are in Christ, right? For those of us, we may be in a season where we're crying. We may be in a season where we're hurt. We may be in a season where we have a lot of fear. We have a lot of anxiety. We don't know what's going on. We're really fearful. But we know there's going to be a day for those of us that are in Christ where there's going to be no more tears. He's going to wipe them away. There's going to be no more crying. There's going to be no more hurt. There's going to be no more pain. The things that we used to have to experience that are bad, we're no longer going to have to experience those things. We know how the story ends. It ends very well for those of us that are in Christ. Uh, remember is kind of a weird word for something that hasn't happened yet to you. Right? In the same way that we read a story, we know the end. Right? We just remember the ending of the story and knowing that we're eventually going to get to experience it whenever we're face to face with Jesus. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> Such a servant. Um, so uh, wrapping up, this, as I think through pruning, as I think through a long life, as I think through the life of a believer, um, I think about my grandmother. Here's my grandmother. 
My grandmother is 88 years old. Aww, aww. She's 88 years old. Let me tell you a little bit about my grandmother. Uh, her name is Nilda, Nilda Garcia. So my grandmother, uh, she, she, she's Puerto Rican. Uh, I don't know if you could tell by her 410 stature. <laughs> so she's, she's Puerto Rican, grew up in Puerto Rico. Um, at 17 years old, um, her future husband moves in across the street. She didn't know this at the time. Well, she kind of knew it at the time because he looked good to her. <laughs> So, so she starts, this, this guy moves in across the street, and she just starts praying for him and praying for him and praying for him because this guy's not following Jesus, right? This guy's a womanizing drunk. This guy's not a good guy, right? But she's praying for him, and eventually he has this, my, my, my grandfather has a Saul of Tarsus-like experience where God literally brings him down to his knees, and he recognizes that he needs to give his life to Jesus. So he does, and then he starts following Jesus, then he starts telling people about it, um, and then starts telling a lot of people about it, and people are just gathering to listen to tell him talk about Jesus, and eventually he's going to parks, and people are gathering to listen to him talk about Jesus, and he's going to, to churches, and people are gathering to listen to him talk about Jesus, and the entire time my grandmother is just right there at his side, just also telling her story about Jesus. Um, my grandfather eventually is, through some of the guys that he was doing ministry with, is filling up soccer stadiums with people coming to listen to him talk about Jesus. He's like the, the Spanish Billy Graham. <laughs> so he's going to North America, Central America, around Puerto Rico, and so many people are getting saved through the ministry of my grandfather, um, including members of the Puerto Rican mob. So members of the Puerto Rican mob are, are there getting saved, and some of you guys have heard the story before, um, to where the Puerto Rican mob is losing money uh, because there are no, they're, they're their boys are not pushing drugs anymore, the drug cartel. So they, they figure out what's happening, and they decide, oh, David Garcia, her husband, is the problem? Well, we need to put an end to David Garcia. So back in 1977, they did a drive-by shooting at their house to where my grandmother watches her husband get shot and her 16-year-old daughter get shot. So she's obviously, um, one could say, that Grandma Nilda is uncomfortable, <laughs> to say the least. So she's there, but man, Grandma Nilda, she is a woman of faith. She is a woman with such high character, right? So she doesn't doubt God. She expects the unexpected. She knows that discomfort is going to happen. She knows that she can trust Jesus. She knows ultimately where everybody's going should people pass away, like how the story ends for them. She knows how the story is going to end for her. So she has so much faith, and she just prays, and everyone gets rushed to the hospital, and everyone recovers, praise God. But it wasn't safe for them to be in Puerto Rico anymore. So again, uncomfortable. Not only did her husband and daughter get shot, now she has to move, and she doesn't know where to go. One could say, again, one is uncomfortable. So she doesn't know where to go, but God provides with um, having a pastor from Texas invite them to come over to Texas. So, so my Puerto Rican family moves to Texas because it was a safe place for them, right? So Grandma Nilda is trusting God and this trusting that God is going to provide. She can't see it. She's, she's surviving. She doesn't know how it's going to happen. She has hope. She doesn't know where hope is going to come from. And here comes this random phone call inviting her to come to Texas, right? Her husband, who normally makes the family decisions, is in a coma in the hospital, can't make any family decisions. So she's there by herself with her kids making a major, major life decision to where to take their family. So they move from Puerto Rico to Texas, right? So the 16-year-old daughter, that's my mom. 
she meets a pastor's son, who's my dad, right? So they meet high school sweethearts. So they actually have an amazing life. So her husband, uh, Grandpa David, um, so they're there, and eventually they become pastors. Um, they're at the church, but man, there's been a lot of pruning along the way with sickness. So Grandpa David is no longer here anymore, right? She had to witness him um, with it, be sick for like 10 years in and out of hospitals and passed away about eight years ago. She was there at his side. Uh, she, she herself, not all of her, had a, had a miscarriage, right? Just painful, painful as a mother, right? Her, her oldest son uh, passed away with some asthma, respiratory stuff. Painful. And the entire time, Grandma Nilda is such a faithful woman with such high character, following Jesus faithfully, trusting in him, knowing that it's hard. Recently, Grandma Nilda, a couple weeks ago, it's maybe a HIPAA violation, uh, so she was in the ICU, with some, her own, some kidney stuff that she's been working through, right? So I, so I call. My mom tells me, hey, uh, Grandma's in the hospital. We call her Mama. Mama's in the hospital. I'm like, oh, my, oh wow, this is, okay. So, so I call. My grandma's in ICU, as happy as can be, <laughs> as joy-filled as can be. This is what happens with your fruits. It gets sweeter when you get older. Your fruit gets sweeter when you get older. So she's there, 80 years old, as joyful, her fruit, her character, as sweet as it can be. Why? Because along the way, she's allowed God to prune her. Not complaining, not shaking her fists at God, but receiving the pruning that the Lord wants to do in her life. And because of that, she's the most joyful woman, the most Christ-like person that I know, right? She evangelizes and talking to everybody about Jesus. People that encounter her, just like this smile, this radiating, the, the, these, this joy that comes. I actually um, asked my family earlier, like, hey, what are some, what are some things that my grandma says a lot? Um, and so they, they responded this way, where they said, um, she, she used to say, when my, her husband was, was campaigning and doing his ministry stuff, a lot of people were healed. There was a lot of miracles. It was something precious. And she recognizes that was a season of her life. And she appreciates that season. But she also knows she's in a different season right now. Her husband's not with her anymore. He's not with us here on this earth anymore, right? She'll see him again one day in heaven. But right now, it's a different season of her life. And she remembers it. She's okay with it, right? Because it was a really good season. But she's moved on to another season of her life, right? She says, <laughs> um, she, obviously, she speaks Spanish. She's Puerto Rican. But she says, a mí no me duele nada. Which means, hey, nothing hurts. Nothing hurts. Right? She was in ICU two weeks ago, and still she's saying, hey, nothing hurts. Nothing hurts. Um, <laughs> she says, uh, this, is, this is really interesting, something she says a lot. She's like, no es la ropa, es el modelo. Which means, um, it's not the clothes, it's the model. It's, it's the person wearing the clothes. Right? She knows, she's lived a long life following Jesus. She knows it's not the outside that matters, it's the inside. It's the character that matters. When you're living a life following Jesus, it's your character that matters. <laughs> she says, um, I, don't, I have no idea how to say this in Spanish, but um, I'm just going to do the translation. She's like, when the devil tries to pinch me, I just put one foot on his neck, another one on his tail, and just watch him wiggle. <laughs> That's my grandmother. <laughs> That's my grandmother. Here's, here's, the, here's the, the, coolest, the coolest thing. Every my entire life, my entire life, every single time that I see her, you know how she greets me? I love you, love you, love you, love you, love you, love you, with arms open wide. 
or maybe more like this. <laughs> right? That's who she is. She's a person who loves people. She's a person who has been pruned by God, who's the person who models her life after Jesus to love everyone that she comes encounter with. That's my prayer for all of us, that we can all be 410 Puerto Rican women. Just kidding. My prayer for all of us is that we may have a life following Jesus, that we may be open even when life is uncomfortable, even when it's hard. We know that pruning is uncomfortable, and we know that God is going to make something good out of this pruning. We're about to sing a song, uh, New Wine, and this is the first line of the song, is in the, in the crushing and the pressing, you are making new wine. What is crushing and pressing? It's pruning. In the crushing and the pressing, God is making new wine. He's making new wine in us, and he's making new wine in you. He's making new wine through you. So friends, let's be receptive to the pruning. Let's not be unexpected. Let's not um, be surprised by it. Let's expect it. And know that something good is going to come from it as God is pruning us to make us more like him. Let's pray. God, we thank you. God, we love you. God, we know that pruning is hard. Pruning is really hard. Pruning is uncomfortable. God, man, you are making new wine out of us. And the crushing and the, crust, and the, and the crushing and the pressing, God, you are making new wine. You're doing something new in us, God. And I pray that we may be receptive to what you want, might want to do. So we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.